I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 470. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. As we get started today, I recognize engaging God's word for yourself can feel daunting. And while our featured song will give us fresh inspiration as to where to study, the episode guide will give you the interaction tools you need to dig in. So grab your episode 470 guide at michellenizat.com forward slash 470 download. And if you've already subscribed to my email list, this guide is already in your inbox, ready to help you discover and meditate on God's word in new ways. I've been thinking a lot about biblical worldview. Um, A worldview is basically the lens you look through to make sense of the world around you, uh, interpreting it and ultimately affecting your actions. And a biblical worldview is one that sees the world the way the Bible sees it. And Consumed by Fire sings a phrase found in the title of their song playing on the radio now that I want to examine from a biblical worldview. What do you think of when I say first things first? And before we talk about that and dive into scripture, let's listen. First things first, I seek your will, not my own. Surrender all my wants to you. Keep the first thing first. To live your truth, walk your ways, set There was definitely one place in scripture that I thought of first when I heard this song for the first time, and that is Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're headed back to Matthew chapter six, where we we actually spent some time there not too long ago in episode 466 when we studied the Lord's Prayer. And yeah, this teaching is in the same sermon. Now, Ron and I have been, my husband, have been a part of congregations where the pastor was a Sermon on the Mount kind of pastor. You know, many topics, lots of information, run out of ink in my pen, taking notes kinds of sermons. And then we've been in congregations where the pastor would have taken the first point and done a four-week series on it. So I think there's value in both approaches. This is part of the joy of the Bible interaction tool exercises that I've curated for you. I had a listener comment after the last episode that it was hard for her to read and keep on reading. That was one of the bites that we used last time and not stop to mark up the text. And she said, because, because Michelle, you've taught us to stop and mark up the text. And I totally get that. I do. And if you're interacting with God's word in a way that is super effective for you right now, by all means, keep the momentum going, keep doing the same thing you're doing. But sometimes you'll see 
you know, like in a long sermon like this one, uh, things if you read and kept on reading that you wouldn't see if you stopped to mark up the text all along the way or by magnifying one point. Now this week, however, we are going to zoom back in and magnify one point. But before we do that, I do want to zoom out and get the context of Jesus's teaching. So reading in context is one of my favorite Bible interaction tool exercises. I call them bites for short. For me, this is generally to read the chapter before the chapter and the chapter after my focus verse. I think you can read the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven. My loose definition works here because we're in chapter six. So, but let's say we were studying something in chapter seven. You get it. You know, reading in context would be reading that entire sermon. So this time when I read through the sermon, it struck me that after Jesus' statement about fulfilling the law, not doing away with it, but fulfilling it, he went on to give several examples of the law. Just for just for funsies, you know, just note every time he says something like, you've heard what it was said, dot, dot, dot. And then he shifts from talking about those specific points of the law to talking about acts of righteousness. And his go-to phrase shifts to when you, dot, dot, dot. So when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. So he goes, again, you've heard it said that, it, you, you've heard that it was said, and then shifts to when you, and then he shifts to some do nots. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not judge. It's an interesting cadence I've just never noticed before. And I noticed it because I backed up and read the entire sermon all at once again. And I just saw something in a new way. So this is the value of reading in context and also the value of kind of like reading, keep on reading without um, slowing down to mark up the text at first. Our focus area to study is in the do not section. So let's start in chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 19, and it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then if you bop down to verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I didn't read all the verses to you today, um, but I think our song mimics what you will be studying right here in these red letter words of Jesus. So I would want you to to really sit in all of the verses from, you know, verse 19 all the way through the end um, of this section, even though I didn't read them all. But our song says, I don't want to love what the world loves. I don't want to chase what the world does. Your kingdom's all I want to seek. So let's look at what Jesus points out as he teaches us the kingdom way. Now, I'm not a commentary writer, but if I were to summarize what Jesus points out in verses 19 through 24, I think that I could summarize it into three categories. Stuff, what we watch, and money. So stuff, the physical stuff that can break and get old and be stolen, we value it. We really do. And it's easier now more than ever to accumulate it. Uh, You can tell that by the number of boxes that gets delivered to our doorsteps each week. Uh, Then the next category is what we watch. So there's this whole discussion in Jesus's teaching on the eye being the lamp of the body. And that is what lets in light or darkness. 
and then money. He, he doesn't mince words with this one. You cannot serve God and money. One of them will be your master, but you have to pick. So it's after this discussion about stuff, what we watch or what we look at, and money that Jesus says, therefore. And my old pastor used to say, when you see a therefore, you need to read to see what it's there for. And this is fulfilled by reading this text in context. We've already seen what it's there for. So in light of this discussion about stuff, what we watch, and money, Jesus says, in light of this, don't be anxious about your life. If you lay up eternal treasures that will last, if you flood your eyes with light and not darkness, if you are devoted to God, you shouldn't be anxious about your life. Specifically, he details being anxious about what you're going to eat and drink and what you're going to wear. Now, consider this original audience of this teaching. And I say original because this teaching is for us too. But this audience, uh, that are the physical audience that's sitting at his feet, they may very well have been poor, you know, kind of wondering where their next meal would have come from and if their clothing would last another year. Uh, for the majority of you listening to my voice right now, these are not our main concerns. You know, we... When we think, what will we wear, we're contemplating a variety of outfit choices for the day, not if the one that's clean is too threadbare to be worn. But Jesus is talking about things that are basic needs, and he contrasts the chosen people of God with the Gentiles. That's because that's his audience. The Hebrew people of his generation, again, just sitting at his feet on this mountainside, these chosen people of God were to be comforted because God is well aware of their basic needs. In fact, he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God will add all the other things to you, all the things that are important. <laughs> these are these basic needs that you really do need to survive. He, he knows that you need them. He just wants you to prioritize different things. And I know that you might be familiar uh, with this section of scripture. And this verse is a good one to commit to memory. But this week I took the bite of meditation. I meditated on what first things first might mean and how my interpretation or what I think of uh, should change based on Jesus's teaching. So the phrase first things first also shows up in the seven habits of highly effective people. In fact, I think I say it uh, at least once a week to my kids. You know, when they were little, it was work first, then play. Goodness, it's still work first, then play. I, I my, my youngest homeschools, so I often remind her to do first things first. And when I say that, I mean, do the things you have to do before you do the things you want to do. The thing is, is that's not really teaching her from a biblical worldview. Not that first things first isn't a biblical worldview. It's just the have to before the want to is what I'm talking about. So the biblical worldview of seeking first the kingdom is more of a prioritization of what is really important. And what I want is my heart to change uh, to match what my Savior deems important. I want what's important to him to be important to me. So Jesus isn't saying, seek my kingdom so that you get everything else. He's saying, seek first the kingdom and everything else falls into place. It's a matter of focus and priority. And I've said this before, but if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. When you worry, you think about something from multiple angles. You roll it around in your mind. It often takes precedence above all else. 
And Jesus knows this. That's why he tells us the opposite of anxiousness is not peace. It's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a redirection of our attention. It is truly putting first things first. And as I meditated on this idea, I zeroed in on the word first. And I took the bite of defining it. In English, it means preceding all others of a series or kind or the earliest, or it could mean uh, most eminent or exalted, most excellent or chief or highest. In the Greek, it's the same. And it refers to like this time and place in succession. And the habit of putting first things first has practical applications. So just this week, I hopped into some some work tasks before my normal time of worship and word and prayer that I try to start my day with. My day was off kilter all day. The next day, I put the order back and things went much smoother. Now, this is not a quarter that I put into a gumball machine. I can spend time in solitude with the Lord and still not have a productive day, but I do want the habit of my life to put God and his righteousness as my first thoughts and efforts in the morning. And they say like, whatever you drink first thing in the morning, you will most often crave throughout the day. That's true for me because I usually drink coffee first and I have to force myself to put down the coffee cup and drink my water. So I think you can see how quickly this can become legalistic in nature, and that's not what I'm aiming for. I don't want you to fall into that ditch, but I don't want you to avoid making practical changes in your habits in the name of avoiding legalism. And Jesus knows a little bit about what first means. In Colossians 1.18, it says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And my old boss used to say that Jesus was not first in his life. And he said it to get your attention. (laughs) And boy, did it. Especially when I was on the committee charged with hiring him, we were like, wait, what? You know, Jesus is not first in the life of a man who's going to lead a Christian school. And he would then follow that up, that controversial sounding statement with this. Jesus isn't first. He's central. He's at the heart of everything I do and think and love. And I would take it a bit further um, when I talked about this idea and would ask people to think of a checklist. Jesus isn't first as in he's something you can check off. God's righteousness isn't a checkbox. His kingdom isn't something you complete. It's a new way of living and seeking and focusing, prioritizing and meditating. So seeking first isn't merely a accomplishing something. It's a whole new way to live. And I love that word preeminent found in Colossians 118. When you take the bite of looking this verse up in various translations, you'll see that like the King James and the ESV and others use the word preeminent. And you'll also see other translations say first place or supremacy, depending on the translation. And this begins to tell us how Jesus ranks. In fact, in this one verse, he's basically called first in a variety of ways. You see head of the church, which is a highest rank. You see beginning, which is like the first of the first. Um, you see firstborn, which is like a birthright, birthright existing from before anybody else. Preeminent, ex- exceeding all others in quality and rank and importance. That is how Jesus ranks. So his kingdom should rank highest for us his disciples. It should tower above all the others. That's how the message Bible puts it. And my mama used to say that I was making a mountain out of a molehill when I would make a big deal about something uh, that is actually pretty insignificant. And that is what Jesus is saying. 
all the things that the world values, riches, fame, entertainment, importance, identity, provision, all of these things are molehills compared to the mountain of God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's where I've felt convicted this week. I spend more time thinking about well, not his kingdom or his righteousness. Fill in the blank. I spend more time thinking about XYZ. Uh, one of my favorite musicals of all times is My Fair Lady. And one of the songs says, words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through. First from him, now from you. And then she goes on to sing, don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. And it reminds me actually of something that I read in Isaiah chapter 29. It says, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And when I read that, a a commandment taught by men, that's a checkbox. That's not a worldview change. He wants a changed heart. He doesn't just want a bunch of words. He doesn't want a commandment taught by men checked off. Uh, Jesus actually uh, quotes this verse in Matthew chapter 15, if you want to check that out as well. But what you value will show up in how you live, where you spend your time, your talents, your treasure. And Jesus explained what the world gives preeminence to. What do what do they rank really high? He he just wants us to choose a better way. He wants us to put first things first. And it doesn't look anything like you thought it would, or dare I say, anything like you think it should. You know, I discovered another compare contrast, uh, kind of related in my mind to this idea of first that we found in Matthew chapter six. If you go on down to Matthew chapter twenty, oh by the that's a bite by the way, comparing and contrasting. Jesus was a master of this technique um, and used it in his teaching all the time. But in Matthew chapter twenty, verse one, we read uh, one through sixteen. We read the parable of the vineyard workers, and basically as a summary. Uh, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven was like a master who hired workers for his vineyard and he hired them throughout the day. And when the day was over and he began paying the workers, he paid the workers that he just hired an hour ago, a full day's wage. And we got when he got to the workers that he hired at the beginning of the day, he paid them a full day's wage as well. And they were a little put out. And the master asked if they had agreed to the day's wage at the beginning of the day. And they said they had. And but it just didn't seem fair to them. Right. They worked all day for the same amount as the person who worked for an hour. And he actually, the master, interpreted their frustration as begrudging his generosity. That's what the ESV says. And he ends with this. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, interestingly enough, if you read in if you read in chapter 19, he says the same thing, but backwards. He says at the end of chapter 19, many who are first will be last and the last first. You can read that one in context for yourself because I I want to get to the scene near the end of chapter 20, but it's all interconnected. That's why it's so good to read in context. But I'll give you the punchline. Verse 27, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So you've got this parable, the disciples heard the parable, and just a couple of scenes later, you see a story about position. And James and John's mom approaches Jesus to give them seats of honor in his kingdom. And Jesus basically tells her she doesn't know what what she's asking because his reign was that of a suffering servant, not a pompous king. And he's, he's giving us another way to look at the kingdom. 
And it's an upside down kingdom, just like he explained in that parable. You know, one where the first is last and the last is first. A kingdom where the king is a slave. And King Jesus, who Philippians chapter 2 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This upside down kingdom where righteousness isn't about being right. It's about being generous to those most vulnerable. Um, I think when Jesus said in in his sermon on the Mount, when you give to the needy, uh, being wholly dependent upon God. When you pray, the the sacrificing of your own comfort, when you fast, these are what Jesus indicated were practices of righteousness, uh, not lording it over others, uh, not sitting in the place of honor, not drawing attention to yourself, not sitting in unforgiveness, not hoarding material goods, not filling your mind with darkness and living an anxious life as though God doesn't even exist, much less promise to care for you. Note, Jesus's upside down kingdom and his manner of righteousness is what we should uh, is what should take top billing in our lives. That's what it is to put first things first. So what do you need to reorder in your own life today? So what's next? Well, study Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, but study it in the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Consider what it might mean to take advice from the preeminent one as to what should rank in our lives. Meditate on what first means and how that impacts what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneezat. Michelle L. Nizat is my public Facebook page, and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And then don't forget to grab your episode guide at michellekneezat.com forward slash 470 download. With that in mind, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed lately, like Mark from Florida, Patty from Florida, Alicia from South Carolina, Barry from Florida, Renee from Pennsylvania, Steve from Michigan, Martha from Kentucky, Desiree from Australia, and Amy from Georgia. Welcome. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, you can do that today uh, through your podcast listening app of choice or by heading over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next time, I will be featuring To Not Worship You by Mercy Me to dive into scripture. And if you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 470. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.